here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. It's Larry O'Connor sitting in for, well... For the greatest talk radio host alive today, the great one, Mark Levin. It is true. It's it's not hyperbole. It's not faint praise. It's not sycophant talk. No, no, no. It's, it's just obvious. Mark Levin is the greatest talk radio host of our time alive today. And it is an honor to sit in with him on this 22nd day of December. I do the morning show on WMAL in Washington, D.C., which means, of course, I'm Mark Levin's morning show. That's right. Mark Levin wakes up with my voice in his ear. Don't tell Julie whatever you do. Love to talk with you today at 877 Let's get this out of the way right now. I know if you're like me, you are still scrambling for Christmas presents. The obvious choice is American Marxism. You know that you can still get it, probably. Bezos over there, when he's not flying people up into space, he's able to deliver things. Get the book. Get the audio book. Get it for all the people in your life. And I want to make this recommendation wholeheartedly. Get it for the kid, the grandkid, the nephew or niece, especially if they're on their way to college so they know what they're facing. You may have raised those children or your kids, friends, brothers, and sisters may have raised those children with American values. But when they're about to hit a college campus, if it's not Hillsdale, well, they're in for something. Get him Mark Levin's blockbuster, incredibly seminal work, American Marxism. And you'll be not only giving a present to that young child, but you'll also be helping our nation out as we move forward through what I believe is going to be a pretty dark valley ahead of us. I want to be positive, and I am positive and optimistic about where we can go. But right now, we have, by all intents and purposes, an accident in the White House. And now I'm not talking about the kind of accident left on the rug in front of the Resolute Desk in the Oval Office from those uh, untrained, rowdy dogs the Bidens brought in. What were they thinking, bringing in these dogs? Sicked them on the unwitting White House staff and the Secret Service. Have you heard these stories about that? Yeah, anyway, they they sent one of their dogs away, major. They sent, but did your parents ever do this? Oh, this cat isn't working out, but uh, they'll be happier on a farm. My dad did that to me. Kitters. Kitters was an annoying cat. I'll I'll grant you that. Yes, it was named Kitters. I didn't name her. But Kitters started acting up, as cats often do. And Kitters was sent to live on a farm. (laughs) Major, the dog that was leaving accidents all over the rug in front of the Resolute desk and biting Secret Service agents as they were forced to go walk them because Joe Biden, the irresponsible dog owner, wouldn't do it himself. Uh, He's been sent to live on a farm. But now they got a puppy. They got, what do they call it? Commander. I digress. This isn't the accident I'm talking about. I'm talking about the man who sits behind the Resolute desk where he takes his daily naps. Joe Biden is an accidental president. He is the end result of an accident of American politics. His presidency is not going to be remembered with an asterisk. Like my friend and fellow town hall columnist Kurt Schlichter would say. I love Kurt. Like a brother. He calls him President Asterisk. No, he's not an asterisk. He's an accident. And and this presidency will be remembered. It'll be reviled, actually, as the accident that it was, is, and ever shall be. Joe Biden became the Democrats' nominee in 2020 
by accident. We all saw it happen. It was like watching a train wreck in slow motion. There was nothing that could be done. He shouldn't have even run in the first place in 2020. Everyone knows that's true. If Joe Biden was such a great man and such a gifted leader that our nation couldn't do without, why didn't he run for office in 2016? Why didn't he run for Obama's third term as the sitting vice president? Would have been natural. I mean, he's such a powerful, important, and wise leader. Why didn't he just run for president in 2016? He didn't. And did you notice when he didn't run that nobody seemed to notice? Nobody seemed to care. Obama sat by, let him languish and dangle as Democrats openly joked about it. As Hillary Clinton's henchmen bullied him into officially declaring himself a non-candidate. Remember that? Remember John Podesta went out there and said, Joe Biden, because there was speculation. Well, you know, it's Bernie and Hillary, Bernie and Hillary. Bernie. Well, maybe Joe will run. Maybe Joe will run. And it's just dangling out there. John Podesta, this bully thug of a man, actually, actually, pushes the issue we got to hear from biden and finally he says yeah okay i'm not going to run and nobody cared nobody lost any sleep over it oh I, I know at the time the the adoring and compliant media ran interference as they always do they said oh joe biden can't run for office because of the grief over losing his son Bo to cancer okay sure yeah that's what it was about because he's such a loving father look how well he raised his other son hunter yeah that's what it was I'm sure it had nothing to do with the fact that Biden had become a walking punchline at that point, and even then was seen as too old for the job. No, no, no. It was about losing his son, Bo. Okay, fine. Now, he ended up getting the 2020 nomination because the other choices at the time, if you remember right, and I got to bring, it was only a year and a half ago, but we've got to remind people of history. There was no overwhelming desire, even of the Democrats, to have Joe Biden as their nominee. He backed his way into it. The choices at the time were Pete Buttigieg, Elizabeth Warren, or Bernie Sanders. Now, Biden is a dream nominee, given the nightmare of that choice. So it fell into his lap. So you couple that accident with the very deliberate bastardization of our elections and voting protocols in 2020 under this dubious guise of fear over COVID. Yeah, that everyone was so scared over China's diabolical gift to the world, COVID-19, that we had to upend every basic protocol we have had in place in the history of our voting system in America. And boom, the end result, president accident. Now, it's at this point, I can hear them right now. I can hear my friends, and they are my friends, and my colleagues, many of whom who are Republicans and conservatives who oppose this president. But they all start to say the same thing. Have you heard this? You hear this all the time. Oh, I feel sorry for Joe Biden. Oh, Jill, Jill's to blame. Jill shouldn't let him continue. Look how out of it he is. He's not really in charge. He's so out of it, he's just a puppet. Stop that right now. He wanted this gig, he got this gig. He gets all the trappings and glory of being the president. He gets to live in a mansion for free. You pay his salary. He, do you realize that he is the only person, the president of the United States, no matter who it is, is the only person in America where it is basic, standard, and reliable protocol that when he enters the room, everyone stands. There's no one else in our country where that's the case. In our history, it goes all the way back to George Washington. It's a protocol that is only afforded one man, the president of the United States. He gets that. He gets that. 
he wanted this gig. Don't give him a free pass. Don't say, oh, no, 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 he's just a puppet. You know, Ron Klain's really in charge. Susan Rice is really in charge. Jen Psaki's really in charge. Jill's really in charge. Kamala's really in charge. Barack Obama's really in charge. George Soros is, no, he wanted the gig. He's got it, and he deserves your ire, your disdain, not your pity, not your sympathy. Oh, I feel sorry for Joe Biden. Stop it. Look at this man's history in office. As a mean, nasty SOB senator, as a mean, nasty SOB vice president, and frankly now, as a mean-spirited, power-hungry creep of a president. You feel sorry for him? Ask the family of Robert Bork, who he slimed and slandered and destroyed during his confirmation hearing for the Supreme Court. Ask them if they feel sorry for Joe Biden. Ask Clarence Thomas and his family if they feel sorry for Joe Biden over the attempted character assassination that Biden engineered during those hearings. Ask Sarah Palin after the way he demeaned and degraded her in 2008 or Paul Ryan in 2012. Ask Mitt Romney when Biden declared to a black audience that Mitt Romney wanted to put them all back in chains. Remember, this is the guy we're talking about here, okay? You want to feel sorry for him? Ask all the unborn babies that he now sits back and allows to be extinguished while still publicly grandstanding on some warped vision of something he thinks is the Catholic position on abortion. Actually, now that we're talking about Mr. Catholic and his abortion policy, ask all the other Catholics in this country who now misguidedly and wrongly believe that you can be a Catholic in good standing, just like Joe Biden, and your salvation is guaranteed while still supporting and participating in this intrinsically evil act. Because Joe Biden promotes this false teaching on abortion. Joe Biden is leading multitudes of others to damnation because they believe his convoluted nonsense, his lies about Catholic teachings. And I know it's the bishop's fault and it's the pope's fault and they should deny him communion. No, ultimately it's his fault. He knows better. And if he doesn't know better, he should shut his mouth and stop telling everyone in this country what Catholics believe because he ain't the pope. You think Biden deserves your sympathy? I assure you. This is a grace he would never extend to you if you oppose him politically, ever. Look at his history. And now this accident of a president, in just one year, he's watched one of the most disastrous economic periods of the last American century. He sat back and watched. In fact, that's giving him too much credit. If he had actually done nothing, we'd be better off. We've got skyrocketing inflation. We've got out-of-control government spending. We've got an ever-expanding authoritarian control from our federal government and a completely incoherent, unscientific, incompetent public policy toward this COVID-19 thing. Joe Biden's America has reached a depressing and nauseating valley of despair. He, he literally proclaimed this week that certain Americans, citizens of this country that he serves, that he works for, he said, and I'm quoting that, this is what he said. He said, look, we are looking at a winter of severe illness and death for the unvaccinated, for themselves, for their families, and the hospitals they'll soon overwhelm. That's what he thinks of you. That's what he thinks of the American citizenry that he works for, that he serves. You think George Washington would ever say that? You think Abraham Lincoln would ever say that? 
You think Ronald Reagan would ever say that? Joe Biden's presidency has been an awful, terrible accident from the very beginning. That now we just have to get through until it can be corrected. But at least now, thanks to the great people of West Virginia, the damage from this accidental president has been somewhat mitigated for now. Could we stop for a minute? Everyone's talking about Joe Manchin, Joe Manchin, Joe Manchin. Yeah, sure, Joe Manchin. Stop for a minute. This is not about Joe Manchin. This is about the great, incredible, heroic Americans who live in West Virginia. The West Virginia voters allowed Joe Manchin to represent them in the United States Senate. Thank you, West Virginians. With more actions like that, with more people like that, with more Americans like that, we might just make it through the next three years of president accident. 877-381-3811. I'm Larry O'Connor. In for Mark Levin. Be right back. Mark Levin. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. right by the way merry christmas <laughs> i'm sorry i just got i got all excited i got off and running your larry o'connor in for the great one mark levin I, I really wanted to get that off my chest about biden because i'm so sick of people feeling i keep hearing that the, i always feel sorry for him and i got all that and i forgot to say merry christmas this is you know christmas it's it's wednesday christmas is saturday merry christmas I mean, I guess I mentioned it with your Christmas shopping for American Marxism. By the way, I'm calling a quick audible here. You know, I, I know that it's very rare to have a guest when you're filling in for the great one, Mark Levin. So, so Rich, Mr. Producer, please, you know, I, I think, I think I'll, be, I'll get a pass on this one. Today is Senator Ted Cruz's birthday. Now, I know Senator Cruz has the number. If he happens to be listening, we'd love for you to call in <laughs> Senator Cruz. So we could wish you a happy birthday. Am I all right with that? Can we do that? If, we, if it happens. I'm not saying it's going to happen. Sure. Why not? Uh, happy birthday to Senator Ted Cruz, a great American and one of the few people who's still holding the line in this on life support constitutional republic. Um, I, I'd love to talk with you, as always, 877-381-3811. In fact, let's get to Victor here. Victor, thanks for calling in. You're on the Mark Levin Show. I'm Larry O'Connor. Hey, Victor. Hey, Victor. Hello, Victor. I don't know why I'm assuming Victor's in New York. So I'm just going to, hello, Victor. All right, no, Victor. That's all right. That's all right. 
uh, we will we will hook up with Vicky. You know what? Paul, Paul in San Jose wants to say hi. Why not? Hey, Paul in San Jose. Hola. I am clicking them on. Should I not? Oh, I, I'm the as usual. It's it's host error. All right. Well, let me. All right. Hold on. I'll put it on hold. There we go. See, I, I I'm so used to working my own call screen here. Did that work? This is what happens when people fill in for the great one, Mark Levin. <laughs> All right. Well, Paul in San Jose, you can call back another time. I apologize. A disaster I am already. I've done this before. What is wrong with me? Uh, let me let me pause for a moment and go back to the last thought that I had there, which is thanking the people of West Virginia. I'm I'm so tired of people like Bette Midler. Uh, actually, actually, you know what? I should rephrase that. At least Bette Midler was honest. Did you see this? This actress, this has been actress Bette Midler. Who, uh, who didn't just attack Joe Manchin, but she actually said what all of the people who have been going after Joe Manchin are really thinking quietly in their head, which is it's, it's, it's about West Virginia. They hate you. They hate the voters. They hate the people who put Joe Manchin there. She took to, to Twitter here. He said, she says of Joe Manchin, he wants us all to be just like his state, West Virginia, poor, illiterate, and strung out. That's what they think of you. It's true. That's exactly what they think of you. Good, let them. Let them. Underestimating you, thinking that you're stupid, thinking that you're, oh, you're not a smart person like Bette Midler, who's from New York. You know, New Yorkers, they're so much smarter than the rest of us. Underestimating you, underestimating your intelligence, underestimating your passion, underestimating your knowledge of our country, our history, what we stand for, what we can be, what we have been. It's how we always win. They underestimated Ronald Reagan. They underestimated the American people's passion to make a change from Jimmy Carter. They underestimated Donald Trump. Hell, they underestimated George W. Bush. We win when they underestimate you, when they demean you. When their disgraceful representatives like Bette Midler insult us. That's when we win. Bring it, Bette. Got a little bit more to say about Ben Midler and the people she works with, especially her company, Disney. I'll get to that, and I will successfully get to your phone calls next. It's Larry O'Connor in for the great one, Mark Levin. The new American Revolution starts here. The Mark Levin Show. Call in at 877-381-3811. Yeah, do that, and uh, and I won't mess up your phone call, because I know my place now. Larry O'Connor sitting in for Mark Levin, and I've got news here. Break, you know, we're all about breaking news. Got to got to tell you the, the latest. Uh, this is uh, out of the White House just about 15 minutes ago. Vice President Kamala Harris, it's been announced, has been, was in close contact with a staffer who tested positive for COVID. She has tested negative herself, and she expects to take a test later. Now, when they say Kamala Harris was in close contact with a White House staffer, could we get some more information on that? Are we talking like Willie Brown close contact? I mean, I'm just going off history here. The vice president has a reputation of, you know, como se dice, close contact with people she works with. I want to know how close it was. I think we need to get to the bottom of that, as it were. Now, when I say get to the bottom, ah, this is I'm this is diminishing returns. I will leave that as it is. We 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 wish nothing but the best for the uh, for the vice president. Really? Well, we'll see what happens there. Uh, let's get to Trisha in Trumbull, Connecticut. 
Trisha, I call Joe Biden the accidental presidency. Do you agree? Uh, well, I kind of disagree because uh, right. the um, ignorant voters have uh, resulted in him. But I'd say more it's the result of a relentless, deliberate campaign by the power-hungry and greedy, including Biden, who's lied all his life to get where he is, but those who hate God and or they hate a constitutional America, and they're willing to destroy it for their own power. Yeah, Um, I I mean, you're talking about socialists, who are basically the power base of the Democratic Party now. Yeah, yeah, these are you're right. I mean, I, listen, people will listen to that and they oh, Trisha's uh, hyperbolic. She's overstating it. This is right. No, no, no. Look at what the left, what Democrats, what sitting elected Democrats who, who are basically socialists at this point in this country are rallying for. They want to do away with the Electoral College because they say it's racist. They want to do away with two senators per state because they say it's racist and undemocratic, right? They, they, wanna, they wanna do away with the Republican Party because they call the Republican Party fascist and authoritarian. This is mainstream ideology. Watch MSNBC in prime time. This is exactly what they're looking to do. They wanna pack the Supreme Court so that they can push their legislative agenda through the court system because they can't get enough people to actually vote for it in Congress. And by the way, all of this is under the guise of saying Republicans are authoritarian fascists. What I just described to you, undoing the Electoral College, undoing two senators per state, packing the Supreme Court, abolishing their political opposition. That's the definition of authoritarian fascism. And yes, Tricia, you're right. This is what the socialists want to do. And, and yes, they're using Joe Biden. Joe Biden is a power-hungry, greedy individual, though, and he's more than happy to throw down with them if he can get what he wants. I agree with all of those comments, Larry, and of course, Mark Levin has rung the bell for for years about these things, but there are so many others. There's uh, Nancy Pelosi, all the Alinskyites, um, and of course, George Soros, and a lot of them um, they don't. They won't come out and admit it. They pretend to be Christians, but they hate God and they hate uh, having someone supreme being laying down the natural law and um, this constitution that we have divinely inspiring it and they're fighting hey, against Trisha, Kimball. we are we are birds of a feather on that i appreciate the call i really do and thank you for listening in trumbull connecticut uh trisha's right this is why in my in my opening statements about joe biden i i m- made a Deliberate point to point out Joe Biden's bastardization of Catholic theology. You know, it's it's not enough. Listen, there are a lot of Catholics out there uh, who 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 either misunderstand or or believe that they're following our faith and they get misguided. That that's fine. And I'm not criticizing Joe Biden for being a sinner. God forbid, we're all sinners. Thank you. Please, the Pope himself has a confessor. Okay. This isn't about Joe Biden being sinful. This is about Joe Biden standing before the American pulpo- pulpit using using the bully pulpit of the American presidency and declaring to the world that he is a Catholic in good standing with his intrinsically evil positions on abortion. It, it's, it's, it's one thing to be a fallen, imperfect Catholic, as we all are, we Catholics. It is a whole other thing to misrepresent the faith and, and, and misguide 
uncatechized Catholics to actually believe that you can be like Joe Biden. He is leading people literally to hell with this. And especially this Christmas week where we celebrate a pretty important birth, it needs to be said out loud. I'm only sorry that the American bishops can't bring themselves to it. Uh, let's get to Ray in Hudson, New York, wants to jump in here on the Mark Levin Show. Ray, thanks for calling. Merry Christmas to you. Hey, Ray. Oh, we lost Ray. Let's go to Br Brian in Potomac. Brian in Potomac, I'm guessing, listens to the mighty WMAL, my home station, Mark Levin's home station, too, in the Washington area. Hey, Brian. Hey, Mark. Or, uh, Larry, how are you tonight? Boy, that's a compliment. Thanks, Brian. <laughs> well, hey, so listen, I thought your monologue was the absolute best one. I've never called in anywhere, and I've listened to MA for years, and that monologue was dead on point. Your 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 expose on Joe Biden and who he is and where he's come from is incredible. And the Thank second you, thing brother. I wanted so you, to say so was... So you don't feel sorry for Joe. Don't you hate hearing this? Oh, I feel sorry for Joe. They're exploiting him. They're taking advantage of him. Don't feel sorry for this creep. No, I don't. You, everybody makes your own choices, and you got to stand behind them. And he's made his. And and I do not feel sorry for him. I feel sorry for America. We're in a worse spot today because of the decisions that have been made by this administration. Well, um, Brian, you're right. But the good news is we're still. And I appreciate the call from Potomac, Maryland, beautiful Potomac, Maryland. Uh, we are uh, still a constitutional republic, and we still have the ability to right this ship and, and and fix this accident and steer ourselves out of this valley. And for everybody, and I know I know what you're saying right now. Oh no, it's rigged. Oh, no, 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 it's all rigged. There's nothing we can do. I like to call them Eeyore Republicans, Eeyore conservatives. Oh, none of it matters. Oh, there's nothing we can do. Oh, everything's lost. They're, they'll, they'll rig it. They'll cheat. They'll do anything. Uh, listen, I get it, and I understand why you might slip into that, because we were all so energized, and we were all so enthused, and we were all so behind Donald Trump for re-election. I get that, and I know it was devastating. It continues to be devastating. But you got to look at Virginia. Listen, do I, do I think Democrats cheat in elections? Of course I do. I've been reading about it, the great, the great books by Hans von Spakovsky and John Fund and, 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 and Ann Coulter and on and on, detailing exactly how they've been able to, to cheat legally and cheat illegally. Yes, there are way, legal ways to cheat in elections, and they've figured it out too. Let me tell you something about Virginia. Just one year ago, Virginia voted for Joe Biden to the strength of 10 percentage points higher than they just voted last month for the Republican nominee, Glenn Youngkin. And by the way, this is after they took over the governorship, the state Senate, and the state House of Delegates in Richmond, Virginia, where they were able to actually institute in law many of the same election changes an upending of election protocols that we've seen done in California and in Pennsylvania and in Michigan and in New York. They're making Virginia into the East Coast version of California when it comes to these things. They were able to push through a ton of those things, including doing away with voter ID, including doing away with, with or, or instituting early voting that started in September. They were able to put into place in Virginia all of those things that you and I look at and say, up, oh, see, here we go. This is how they're going to cheat. This is how they're going to steal the election. And Glenn Youngkin still won. Turned that state around in one year. Did Democrats cheat in Virginia? Yeah, probably. But we still won. 
I don't want to hear Eeyore's. I don't want to hear Eeyore coming in. Oh, none of it matters. What do you mean none of it matters? So we don't fight? We don't try? We don't persuade? We don't still teach our fellow American citizens, and even more importantly, our children and grandchildren, what this country is really supposed to be? We just throw up our hands? No, it's over. I, you come to the wrong place. I'm sorry. Let's get to uh, Mike in Farmington, West Virginia. Mike, a round of applause for you and your fellow West Virginians. You did this. Not Joe Manchin. You did this. Thank you. Thank you for doing what you did. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. I just wanted to comment on that. Um, you know, I, I, we voted for him for a reason. Uh, I figured, um, you know, he, he, he's pretty sensible, and he always wants to tell what we wanted as a state. And I've always heard him talk about, like, you know, I'm, I'm doing what's best for my my state and what's best for my uh, people. But uh, I, I'm Which, a, by the way, is, is the bare minimum of what a senator's supposed to do. I mean, and 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 I'm just Mike. I'm going to let you finish, but I, I, people need to understand. This is it, he is right. This is what Joe Manchin promised to do from his very first election in 2010. The Tea Party uprising in America against Obamacare and against the Obama presidency in 2010. Joe Manchin was basically the only Democrat to win that year. That was the year Republicans turned around the House by the tune of 56 seats, I believe, off the top of my head. And grabbed that gavel out of the ironclad talons of Nancy Pelosi. And Joe Manchin won. And you know what his most famous television commercial was that year? He took the cap-and-trade bill. Remember the cap-and-trade bill? He took the cap-and-trade bill and used it as literal target practice with a hunting rifle and shot bullet holes into the cap-and-trade bill to tell the people of West Virginia how he would vote for them if he got into the United States Senate. Now, if that's how he treated the cap-and-trade bill, of course he's going to vote no on this bill-back baloney bungle from Biden. All right, Mike, go ahead. I just want to make sure everybody oh, yeah. understands that about Joe Manchin. Oh, no, you're, you're exactly right, and that's why he's probably considered... Uh, well, that's probably why he's still in, in, in office, because, you know, um, we here, we, we figure that, you know, he's, he's going to keep, uh, you know, what's best... For the state and what's best for us in the back of his head but i hey, just Mike, would let... you would you rather he change you know there's a lot of talk this week about him changing parties he you know, people have to understand he could walk over to mitch mcconnell's office today knock on the door and say mitch i'm a republican now i'm going to caucus with you guys and starting tomorrow chuck schumer loses his power starting tomorrow it could be that fast that joe manchin says that and suddenly now the senate is in the hands of mitch mcconnell going forward do you want him to do that mike well, I mean, personally, I'm, I'm a Republican, so, I mean, yeah, that'd be great. I mean, I, I, I think he toasts pretty much on the right anyway, so, yeah, he probably could do that, and I'd be fine personally. Um, but, uh, you know, with, with Jim Justice did it as a governor, and a lot of people were, were sour about it because they thought he did it, on you know, just to do it. But, um, you know, I personally wouldn't mind. I think the state wouldn't mind either. You know, I, but that's just my opinion about it. Um, I think right, he just probably needs to just end up doing it. But uh, one one second about the bed mother thing. I'm a fourth generation yeah. coal miner. I wanted to get it real quick. We are not all illiterate here, so <laughs> I don't know what the heck she's talking about. Uh, so 
you know, just want to let you know real quick about that. But Oh, uh, my brother, not, not only are you not all illiterate, you know what, I, I'm going to follow up on this in a minute. Uh, Mike, thank you for the call, and God bless all you in West Virginia. Beautiful, literally God's country there. I will not literally, I guess it is literally because God made the world, so it's all his country. Uh, but West Virginia is God's country. I, I want to follow up on that. I've got a lot to say about Bette Midler. Uh, hear me out here. I used to work in the entertainment business. All right. I, I actually, before I got into this, Andrew Breitbart made me a columnist and pundit and eventually talk radio host. Before that, I worked in the Broadway theater, not as an actor, in management, behind the scenes, producing. I've worked with people just like Bette Midler. Yes, they do think you're stupid. But I've got news for Bette Midler about the illiteracy rates in West Virginia, the graduation rates in West Virginia compared to her beloved New York. I, I, I'm going to show a little, shine a little light on this in a moment and tell you not only is Bette Midler obnoxious and rude, but she's also 100% wrong and, frankly, just stupid. Share that with you and more of your calls in a moment. It's 877-381-3811. I'm Larry O'Connor. It's the Mark Levin Show. Mark Levin. Another, we're all about breaking news here. Larry O'Connor filling in for Mark Levin here on the 22nd day of December. Merry Christmas to you. Breaking story just in the last uh, hour or so coming out of Philadelphia, Mark Levin's hometown, right? My friend Krista Gall doing mornings out there in Philadelphia. Uh, Pennsylvania Congresswoman Mary Gay Scanlon carjacked at gunpoint in South Philly. Now, now if that's all you know about this story, one question, political affiliation. Is this a Republican or a Democrat? Of course it's a Democrat. Of course it's a Democrat. South Philadelphia? You get, what, it, it, I, you, we got, can we do an extensive search here and see how on board she was for defunding the police? She, I mean, she was leading the charge, right? She had to be. That's a harrowing experience, but I'm sure that her ideology still keeps her on board with uh, being on the side of the criminals carjacked in democrat utopia philadelphia south philly to be exact i and i know it's philly the jokes write themselves says just philly being philly uh as i mentioned i have a lot to say about bed miller i do uh but i but i want to have enough time to do it uh but and a lot of you i mean look at all these calls about west virginia and about you know mike in wheeling west virginia i'd love what, what's your response to bet midler who i'm sure loves to cash your checks when you go to see her movies mike but she thinks you're stupid mike. illiterate i'd like to welcome her to wheeling west virginia for dinner sometime perhaps i could uh, educate her on where graduates from wheeling uh, high schools and elementary schools go to school. For example, I attended a top 20 law school, finished yeah. in the top half of my class. Uh, I'm not sure where Chuck Schumer went to school. Uh, he's from New York, isn't he? Um, he is. Was he well-educated? Um, I wonder if he's even, you know, could find Wheeling, West Virginia on the map. Yeah. <laughs> he claims to be well-educated. And again, by the way, Mike, uh, Bette Midler compared West Virginia to Brooklyn, right, uh, in terms of population. She was wrong about that, by the way. Uh, that comparison, but she compared it to you know here in Brooklyn, you know he represents more uh, fewer people than Brooklyn, uh, and then made this point that you were illiterate. Uh, here's some data for you: 
Bet Midler, and the rest of you listening. West Virginia has a graduation right now of over 91% high school graduation rate. The geniuses in Midler's beloved New York City right now, they're barely graduating at a 78% rate. They're they're only graduating people at 78% there in her beloved New York, Mike. But there in West Virginia, you know, the backwoods, Appalachia, hick, redneck, illiterates, you got 91% graduation rates. Let's not confuse the liberals with facts now. It's not fair. (laughs) Yeah, they make up their own as they go along. Mike, God bless you. God bless West Virginia. Thank you for for your patriotic votes and making sure that at the very least we have a senator there who did the bare minimum, represented his people. More about Bette Midler, more about Joe Manchin, more about Jeff Zucker, CNN, and COVID-19 coming up. It's Larry O'Connor in for Mark Levin. here now broadcasting from the underground command post deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building we've once again made contact with our leader mark levin let's go larry o'connor sitting in for the great one mark levin my favorite talk radio host honestly he is he's the best talk radio host there is period End of story. A lot of pretenders out there. A lot of people who get the big shot, they get the big microphone, and then... No one does what Mark does. Not the way he does it. That's why you're here every night. That's why I listen every night as well. It's an honor, truly an honor, to fill in. I am uh, the morning host on WMAL, Washington, D.C.'s powerhouse news talk radio station. And, uh, of course, Mark Levin's home in the mid-Atlantic and in uh, the important town of Washington. I'm his morning show. And uh, very proud to be filling in for him. I uh, would love to hear from you at 877-381-3811. I'm, I'm sorry, I, this is really unprofessional to do this on the air. But, you know, uh, everyone's getting their test done right now, right? It's, you know, you got to get the test. You got to get the test. You got to get the test. And it's kind of urgent. I just got my results here. I just want to um, make sure I'm covered here. I got a syphilis positive, gonorrhea positive, hepatitis C positive, hepatitis B positive. Herpes, yeah, I'm positive. Chlamydia. Chlamydia? I thought that was just for women. That was... Oh, there was that one. Yeah, okay. Positive, yeah. COVID-19. Here we go. Negative. All right, well, good. I'm good. Everything's good. It's all that matters. Got the negative on the COVID. I'm fine. That other stuff, it'll clear up. Get a shot. Everything will be fine. Uh, we are waiting for a phone call from Senator Ted Cruz. It's his birthday. We want to wish him a happy birthday here at the uh, Great Mark Levin Show. So if the if the great senator <laughs> happens to be listening, give us a call at 877-381-3811. In the meantime, happy birthday to you, Senator Cruz. Big fan. Big fan. Long-time listener, first-time caller. Uh, I do want to delve into this Bette Midler thing a little bit because I like the fact, actually, that she said the quiet part out loud. I like the fact that she went right after the people of West Virginia and called uh, people in West Virginia poor, illiterate, and strung out. Now, this is pretty fascinating coming from a New Yorker. Have you all been to New York recently? Have you seen? I mean, listen, I understand there's really expensive real estate in New York. There's a lot of people who make a lot of money there. But generally speaking, these are the neighborhoods that we would go to. Poor, illiterate, strung out. 
ding, 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 right? You know, check, check them off the list. Pretty much hitting it. If West Virginia is poor, illiterate, and strung out, where do you think they learned it, Bette Midler? And, and why is she angry at the people of West Virginia? Because they dared to elect a senator that she and her pals in Hollywood don't approve of. This is, a, this is somebody who's very different than Kamala Harris. How dare you? How dare you, people of West Virginia, elect somebody to represent you in a way that is different than how a senator might represent California, New York, or Illinois? How, who, do you, who do you think you are? That's, re- that's really what's at play here. That's her beef. But rather than isolate her criticism to Joe Manchin, I got I to gotta give it to her. She actually focused her vitriol in the West Virginians. You know, Joe Manchin, he puts himself out there. He's a longtime professional politician. He's voluntarily put himself in the arena of ideas. If you want to criticize him, you want to call him names, that's good. It's a rough and tumble business, this, this political world. If you want to criticize him, good. I just, I just spent the first hour criticizing Joe Biden in, in, in pretty pointed language. He can take it. If he can't take it, he should get off the stage. But when you go after the voters, and this is the consistent through line here with the political left in America, and, and, and specifically in our pop culture, in our media, in our academia, when you look at Stephen Colbert, when you look at Jimmy Kimmel, when you look at Saturday Night Live, where they have completely upended their business model of being a comedy show or comedy talk show, and instead have decided to spend the bulk of their time attacking the people who they disagree with politically, not just politicians, but you, the voters. When they go after Trump, they're going after you. Sure, they don't like Trump, but they're really ticked off at you for not doing what they expect you to do, what they tell you to do, what they dictate that you do that you dare to exercise your vote and your opinion in a way different than them. And they can't handle it. So here's Bette Midler. She's rude. She's unseemly. She's insulting. She's demeaning. But sadly, it was also all too common within this, this, this cloistered, sheltered, privileged ranks of the entertainment elite. And, and I really mean the elite. This, let me read the tweet. This was on um, this was two days ago, the 20th. What Joe Manchin, who represents a population smaller than Brooklyn, has done to the rest of America, who wants to move forward, not backward like his state, is horrible. He sold us out, Bit Midler tweeted. He wants us all to be just like his state, West Virginia, poor, illiterate, and strung out. And, and who are these people of West Virginia? Let me tell you something. So, so uh, I want to reiterate. Before I got into this, I, I've been doing talk radio and, and writing Andrew Breitbart. Andrew Breitbart, the late, great Andrew Breitbart, who I can't believe as of, as of next year, as of this February, March 1st, it will be 10 years since he died all too suddenly and all too soon and all too early. But he discovered me. He, he brought me into this world. Before I started writing for Andrew at his websites and before I started doing uh, streaming talk radio on his websites and then eventually talk radio here in the real world on real radio where you're listening to me now, 
I was in the entertainment business. I was in the theater business, Broadway theater. I worked for the Schubert organization, which owns 17 Broadway theaters. I worked for their theaters in New York. I worked for their theaters in, in Los Angeles, the Los Angeles Schubert. I was the manager of it. That's how I came across Andrew. Andrew Breitbart. So I know Bette Midler. I've worked with people very similar to Bette Midler. This is not uncommon. This is really, for the most part, what they think of you. But, but so I understand the business. I understand Broadway. So I know who the people of West Virginia are. Let me just be clear here. When a West Virginian saves their money for their dream vacation to New York to see, you know, the biggest, most exhilarating, exciting city in America, New York City, they're the ones who buy a ticket to see a revival of Hello, Dolly. All right. They're not going to see Hamilton. They're not going to see, you know, one of the artsy, experimental theater pieces that's, you know, edgy and cutting edge. No, you're from West Virginia. You're going to Broadway. It's like, okay, what are your choices? You want to see Phantom of the Opera? Sure, great choice. Great musical. Love Phantom of the Opera. Uh, you, you, you want to say, and oh, look, there's a revival of Hello, Dolly. Oh, Hello, Dolly. Remember the movie with Barbara Streisand? Hello, Dolly. And Bette Midler is playing Dolly Levi. Let's go see that. That's who goes to see the revival of Hello, Dolly with Bette Midler. Last time she was on Broadway, that was her show. So the people of West Virginia go to New York and they go to buy a ticket to see Bette Midler in Hello, Dolly. You know how much they're paying? Do you know when she was there in the final months that she was on Broadway, the top ticket price, $200? No. $500? Not close. They were charging $998 a ticket for the prime seats at the Schubert Theater on 44th Street between Broadway and 7th Avenue. Or excuse me, between Broadway and 8th Avenue. If you wanted to, if you're from West Virginia and you go to Broadway and you want to see Bette Midler and Hello Dolly for your dream vacation, you're paying $1,000 a ticket to see this woman. Sing, wave your little hand and whisper so long, dearie. God, what an awful song that is. Jerry Herman, come on. So here, and she's not even originating the role. Carol Channing created the role in 1966 and then Barbara Streisand on film. But her producers had to charge ticket buyers a thousand bucks a ticket because guess what? They had to pay Bette Midler $150,000 a week to do eight shows. In fact, I don't even think she did eight shows a week because, you know, she had to rest her instrument. She also reportedly got 10% of the box office sales. So here she is making all this money. Who's paying that money? You are. She doesn't make $150,000 a week unless you're buying the tickets. It's a very simple equation on Broadway. I know it's different than movies. It's different in television because they can figure out a way to make money residually with advertisements and with uh, ancillary, and they can send the film rights to Europe and China, and they'll always figure out a way to make money when you're in the television or film or streaming video business. But when it's live theater, you've got eight shows a week, you've got a certain number of seats per night, and it's limited, and that's it. That's all you got. And that show is over. It's done. You have to sell every seat if you want to maximize your profit because you can't resell a seat. There's no, there's no residuals here because it's live. So the only way you're paying her 150000 a week is if you make the money that night with your ticket sales. And that's why they're charging the people of West Virginia $998 a ticket. So now we've got this outright disdain 
from actors and entertainers. And, and it's this disdain projected directly at the very Americans who keep their obscene lifestyles afloat. It's not even insulting, it's maddening. I know these people. I hear the jokes and insults from actors as they refer to these Americans who live in cities and states that they'd only visit if they were pampered in a four-star hotel and plane laid out in their contract rider. You think she's going to West Virginia unless she's staying in the best place possible? And she's not even paying for it. I had a friend who recently appeared on Broadway in a very high-profile production. And he came from a military family. And he's told me, he's told me these stories. That he had to endure constant commentary, vitriolic insults. Not level to him. They didn't know. He was in the closet, of course. Oh, oh, yeah, you can't publicly say when you work in the business what your political ideas are. So he had to sit there. And everyone backstage working on a show, they all assume that everybody's the same. They all assume that everybody's to the left of Don Lemon and Rachel Maddow. It's the assumption, the arrogance of that assumption. So they just openly talk about their politics and the disdain, the vitriol, the insults leveled at conservatives, Republicans, Trump supporters, Southerners, military veterans, any other group that his fellow actors or stage managers or wardrobe people could sophomorically dream up there during the daily backstage rants against the Trump administration. This is what he had to deal with every single night. There's only one group of co-workers backstage at the theater who would like exchange glances and roll their eyes with him and keep their mouths shut during these moments. They were the stagehands. Stagehands, generally speaking, more conservative as a group. And they have children who have followed in their parents' footsteps. They're probably serving in the military. My friend actually put up a picture of one of the stagehands' sons who was in active duty serving in Afghanistan at the time put a picture up backstage so that they could honor him while they were trashing the commander-in-chief and the military culture. Now, my time in the business, uh, it delivered a message loud and clear for me and any Republicans or conservatives like me. Believe what you want in your own private time, but keep your mouth shut on the job. If they ever learn how we think or how we vote, you won't work in this town again. This is who Bette Midler is. But here's the thing. When, when you're working in the business, on-the-job harassment over your political beliefs, it's, 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 it's a given. You know what you're getting into. Just deal with it, right? But directing that hate at the customers, at the ticket buyers, at the viewers, this is, this is a behavior that producers and studios seem to be just fine with. But you wonder how long this is the case. You know, you know, later in 2022, Bette Midler is supposed to be part of this release of a sequel to this movie, Hocus Pocus. Any of you have kids, you know that Disney had this movie, Hocus Pocus, with Bette Midler and Sarah Jessica Parker and Kathy Jimmy. Are you with me? Hocus Pocus. They played witches. Let's forego the obvious jokes about typecasting with Bette Midler as a witch. Okay, that's beneath us. Well, Disney Plus, the streaming service, they're putting out a, um, a sequel to Hocus Pocus. They're paying Bette Midler a ton of money. And she just insulted the people of the entire state of West Virginia, not to mention any other voter in this country who absolutely identify and stand in ideological solidarity with West Virginians. I, I can't believe Disney's happy about this. 
And now this might be why Midler apologized on Twitter, like like right after this happened, a couple of hours later. She says, "I apologize to the good people of West Virginia for my outburst." That that was it. But she didn't really address the oddly specific insults. It's like, oh, I'm sorry, that just slipped out. It was very specific. West Virginians are poor, illiterate, and strung out. That's not an accident. She had to form those thoughts. She gave it thought, okay? And now she's calling the people of West Virginia, the good people of West Virginia. Those good, poor, illiterate, strung out people of West Virginia. She isn't sorry. This is damage control. And I, and I doubt it worked. West Virginians are way more literate and smarter than Brooklynites. I, I assure you of that. In fact, they're so smart that I'm pretty sure next time she asks for a thousand bucks to see Hello Dolly as she traipses across the stage, there may be a few empty seats. Because when Bette Midler loses West Virginia, the producers should lose confidence in paying her that kind of money. Now will Disney? Will you? 877-381-3811. It's Larry O'Connor. You're listening to The Mark Levin Show. Mark Levin. Larry O'Connor filling in for Mark Levin. You know, I found out about, uh, about a week, week and a half ago that I was filling in for Mark Levin tonight. And uh, if you had told me then that I would do half an hour on Bette Midler... <laughs> And the ticket prices of the revival of Hello Dolly, I you know, I wouldn't completely disregard it, but I, you know. But there it is. This is where we are. Uh, let's get to Jimmy. Jimmy wants to talk about Bit Midler. Jimmy, thanks for calling. You're on the Mark Levin Show. Now, this is out. This is outrageous about Bet Midler. She hates the men, women, and children of West Virginia. This is out and out open bigotry and hatred. She needs to be canceled. She hates people that are poor, illiterate, and strung out. Well, Biden closing down our energy sector is going to make more people poor. Biden's mm. open border policy, embracing communist China and the drug cartels, that's going to make more people strung out. This woman is disgusting. She really, there should be protest wherever she goes. She hates a group of Americans simply because they don't agree with her radical policies. She's a bigot, Jimmy. She's an absolute and total, utter bigot. And you're right about uh, more Americans being strung out. It's it's sad that Bette Midler hates Hunter Biden so much. It's Larry O'Connor in for Mark Levin. Stay there. More to come. Mark Levin, America's mentor of conservatism. Call now at 877-381-3811. I'm Larry O'Connor sitting in for my favorite talk radio host, Mark Levin, a great guy as well. And if you're looking for last minute Christmas gifts, uh, may I humbly suggest American Marxism? Uh, Not just the most important book written this year, but uh, quite possibly of the last several years uh, and maybe even going forward of this decade. Uh, It's still available. You can get it, give it, give it to friends, give it to family members, uh, give it to children, grandchildren who are heading uh, out of high school and into college so that they are armed. Uh, Do what you can for them. It's a great way to sort of open their eyes to what's going on in this country. American Marxism, the blockbuster from Mark Levin. Uh, 877-381-3811. By the way, I'm I'm, uh, broadcasting uh, for the holidays right now in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, uh, where the wind comes sweeping down the plane. See, I really did work in Broadway. Uh, and I, I'm, I just want to clear something up here as uh, as my in-laws and family members in Oklahoma are listening. 
uh, that whole thing about gonorrhea and syphilis was a joke. That was that was humor. I was making a point about how mad this society has become about COVID. There's no, no problem here. Mer Meredith is not in any danger. <laughs> Just want to clear that up. I realized, you know, there are a lot of people listening. And if you didn't hear the joke, well, now you're really in the dark. All right, so who have we hit here, Mr. Producer? We hit uh, we hit Joe Biden pretty hard right at the beginning. We got to Kamala Harris, uh, by the way, and God, did she deserve it. We've hit um, uh, Bette Midler. Uh, and, uh, oh, let's go to Chuck Schumer, shall we? <laughs> we, can't leave, we can't leave him out. Uh, this whole thing with, with Joe Manchin doing the thumbs down on Brett Baer. Good for Brett Baer, by the way. I gotta, didn't Mark just have Brett Baer on last week talk about uh, his new book about Ulysses Grant? He did. Brett Baer, uh, so we, uh, Brett Baer, first chance filling in for Chris Wallace. Well, not filling in, Chris Wallace. Bye bye, Chris Wallace. Bye bye. So uh, Chris Wallace, you know, exits stage left. <laughs> and uh, and now they got the empty chair on the Fox News Sunday. So Brett Baer, first opportunity, sits there. Look at, look at the news that he made. Uh, the, the mansion thing was huge, right? He actually had two other newsmakers. Uh, he had Larry Hogan on, uh, the governor of, of Maryland, making news about uh, uh, pushing back against a lot of the school districts shutting down over COVID. And he had, uh, I'm trying to remember who the three, he had a lot of good guests. But Joe Manchin, I mean, that was blockbuster for Brett Baer, good for Brett. And uh, Joe Manchin has asked specifically, you know, Brett asked the question, so it's a no from you. And, and he did. He says, it's a no from me, dog. That would have been great if he had done that, right? A little Randy Jackson, American Idol action there. Brett says, so it's a, it's a no from you on Build Back Bananas? It's a no from me, dog. That would have been brilliant. What a moment. So this could very well be now this, the beginning of a very long and pitiful coda to Biden's presidency, right? This, this could be the end of it. He had one year to kind of do stuff. Things don't get done in the second year of a presidency. This was true with Trump, by the way. Trump had the House and the Senate, such as it was. I mean, Paul Ryan was the speaker, and that didn't work out well. But he at least got quite a bit done that first year, including his major tax package. If you remember, that got passed right around this time, Christmas time, in his first year of his first term. Second year, not so easy to get stuff through. Um, as we saw, remember Paul Ryan and Reince Priebus and their genius said, no, 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 we can always deal with building the wall in the second year. Let's, let's focus this first year on the, on the tax bill, on the tax package. And President Trump, you know, I, mean, I, I like the guy. I think he was a very good president. Um, but, but let's face it, when he came into D.C., he followed the advice of people like Paul Ryan. Reince Donald Trump is a smart man. And you come in and you say, okay, you guys are the experts. What's the best strategy here? Here are my priorities. And it's, oh, yeah, let's do taxes first. Well, we'll get to the wall next year. And we see what happens. So this is it. This was the moment where he was going to get this thing done, Biden was, if he was going to get it done. And Manchin says, it's a no from me, dog. So now that the media and all the wannabe socialists in your political, academic, and entertainment world, they're all focusing on Joe Manchin, right? I would talked about that with Bette Midler just now. Um, that is Joe Manchin's fault, Joe Manchin's fault, Joe Manchin's fault. Could we stop for a moment and place the blame where it really belongs? And no, it's not Joe Biden. If, if, if you're going to blame someone, if you're on the left, if you're a Democrat, and you really wanted this build back better boondoggle from Biden that would bust our country into bits and pieces. Do you want more alliteration or is that? That's good enough. Uh, if you really want to blame somebody. 
Oh, there you go. Blame. There's one more B. Could we blame Chuck Schumer? Can you recognize how Chuck Schumer completely botched this thing up? Why is his name nowhere to be heard in this entire thing? Chuck Schumer possesses the agonizingly dangerous combination of traits that plague so many American politicians. He's arrogant and incompetent. Boy, that's a dangerous cocktail to drink. And boy, has it been on full display this past year. He was gifted the majority leader position because of that chaotic, obscene Georgia runoff election, right? And and, and he had this 50-50 Senate where Kamala comes in there when she's not doing whatever it is she does. And she breaks the tie. So all Chuck Schumer had to do was keep Democrats in line to vote for Democrat things with the Democrat House and a Democrat president. That was his one job. He didn't need a Republican vote for anyway, he needed a Republican vote for one thing. We'll get to that in a minute. But beyond that, everything that he wanted to do this year, he could do with Democrats. And he couldn't even do that. This most the most critical piece of legislation for his party and his president, and he couldn't drag it across the finish line. And by the way, this is after he promised the jihad squad over there with AOC and Nancy Pelosi and Denny falling asleep on his feet, Hoyer. He promised, he says, you guys, you, you pass this bipartisan, the Biff. Remember the Biff? Good old Biff. You guys vote for that, and I promise you I'll deliver the, the BBB, the Build Back Baloney. And he didn't. So now they're doing the postmortem here. They're doing the postmortem, and they're trying to say, okay, well, what, what happened here? Where did the wheels come off? And they're asking Joe Manchin. And Joe Manchin, yeah, he, he's been saying the same thing about the cost of this thing and about you know the, the, how it's going to kill the energy sector in his state of West Virginia, and, and it uh, balloons the power of the government up bigger than it was and, and all that stuff. He's been saying that. But when it really came, when push came to shove, when, when they said, why now? Why didn't you just play this out? Why didn't you keep talking? Why didn't you keep negotiating? Why didn't you keep trying to fix this thing so that you could give Biden a win here? And, and his answer? Because of the incivility. Have you read this? He, he told The Hill this. Uh, he told a radio host uh, in West Virginia. I love this radio host's name, by the way. Uh, uh, Hoppy Kerchival. Hoppy. Hoppy in the morning. I do, I, do, I do morning radio. I might change my name to Hoppy. Hoppy is a great radio host name. He said, here, I'm going to quote him. He said, uh, talking about uh, the White House, he says, it's not the president, it's the staff. They drove some things and put some things out that were absolutely inexcusable. Incivility, he said. Now, civility is a trait that Manchin values. He has his entire, he talks about it all the time. We need civility in politics, civility in politics. It's a good West Virginia, right? Good young man, I suppose. So now he has to deal with these snot-nosed jerks at the White House, Ron Klain, Jen Psaki, Susan Rice, all the Ivies, right? All the Ivies who know so much better. And they treat him with the same old know-it-all disdain that they treat all of us with. We hear it dripping from their voices every time they're on television, talking down to us, demeaning us. They talked to Manchin that way, and you know they did. And they unleashed the hounds. Remember the people who would follow him around from his car, who would, who would stalk him at his houseboat with kayaks screaming at him, right? It's incivility. And so why would Manchin do them any favors? 
especially when doing them a favor by voting for this thing would destroy his state's leading industry. And if incivility is the beginning, middle, and end of all the problems that Manchin had in this process, could we then now refocus on Chuck Schumer? First of all, Chuck Schumer comes into play twice here. First of all, he sees all this going on. He knows Joe Manchin. If he doesn't know Joe Manchin, he's incompetent because it's his job to know Joe Manchin. And he sees them taunting him. They sees them stalking him. At no point does Chuck Schumer say, guys, you got to call off the dogs here. you got to stop having Ron Klain call Manchin. This, you're not getting anywhere. Why, why didn't Chuck Schumer jump in here and say, no, you know, calling him names, browbeating him, stalking him, harassing him, following him around, screaming at him, following Kirsten Cinema into the ladies' room, that's not going to get him to change his mind. In fact, I mean, would that get you to change your mind? Of course it wouldn't. You'd be entrenched. You'd say, hell no. And Chuck Schumer never stepped up, never stepped up and said, stop this. Guys, you're going to ruin it all. That's his job. But more than that, let's get back to this incivility thing. Remember when I said earlier that at one point he needed Republicans to vote? At one point he did need 60 votes to get something critically done. It was the beginning of October. Remember this whole debt ceiling crisis? It was a debt ceiling crisis. We've got to raise the debt ceiling. We've got to raise the debt ceiling. We're going to have a government shutdown. And McConnell says, hey, you got the majority. You could do a reconciliation package. You could get it done yourself. You don't need us. They kept saying, Republicans have to vote for this or we're going to have a government shutdown. And McConnell says, you, know, oh, you don't need me. You've got all your votes. Do it. But you see, doing a reconciliation package for the debt ceiling, that would have been too hard. It would have taken too much time, and they had diddled away a bunch of time, screwing around with other legislation, and they were running out of time. And Schumer knew that if they went through a reconciliation process, then the crazy socialists in his own caucus, as well as in the House, they would have laden other embarrassing, counterproductive things in there that would have exposed the Democrats in Congress as the radical socialists that they are. They wanted a clean vote. They just wanted a clean vote on reconciliation and nothing else. So against my judgment, I think, I don't think he should have done it, but McConnell got nine other Republicans and they said, fine, fine, fine. Go ahead, we'll vote for it, we'll vote for it. And they did, they gave him a gift. They gave him a gift. And do you remember what happened? This is the first week of October, never forget it. He gets his vote. It's like 9 o'clock at night. Schumer takes to the well of the Senate. And you would think he would say, well, thank This is great. You know, I appreciate it. Good job, Mitch. Right? Civility. Remember, Joe Manchin said, why did this thing go sour? The incivility was what Joe Manchin said. So Chuck Schumer, he could, this was the moment where Chuck Schumer, who just got saved, his butt got saved by Mitch McConnell. And he could have, and he could have been the bigger man. In fact, he didn't have to say anything. They could have taken the vote, and then everybody went home for the night. But he took to the Senate. Do you remember this? Leader McConnell and Senate Republicans insisted they wanted a solution to the debt ceiling, but said Democrats must raise it alone by going through a drawn-out, convoluted, and risky reconciliation process. That was simply unacceptable to my caucus. And yesterday, Senate Republicans finally realized that their obstruction was not going to work. He went on and on. Say, oh, they were they're going to take us to the cliff. They were going to push us over the cliff. Children were going to die. Republicans didn't care. They went on this, this diatribe right after he got what he wanted. 
And I don't know if you remember this. C-SPAN showed the video of the speech. Right sitting right behind him is Joe Manchin. Joe Manchin looks to one of his colleagues, and you can see his, his mouth. You can read his lips. He says, this is crazy. He puts his head in his hands during the speech. You remember this? He gets up and leaves in the middle of his leader, Chuck Schumer's speech, and he walks out. That was in October. Have you heard anything about Chuck Schumer and Joe Manchin since then? Have you heard any discussion about how they were going to you know, work together and get this thing done? Have you heard a, one word? You want a picture of incivility? That right there is the freaking Mona Lisa of incivility right there. And it set the table for Manchin from that day forward. It's done. That speech from Schumer may have made him feel good. He, it must have been cathartic for him. And all the lefties on Twitter, they loved it. Oh, slay queen, they tweeted at Schumer in all caps. Good for Chuck. That's great. He owned the cons that night. But he alienated the one guy he needed. The one guy he needed, he alienated him and ticked him off. And now it's insured. He is a one-year failed majority leader of the Senate. He also, by the way, solidified the death knell of his own president's last chance to get anything done before Republicans take over this November. So in short, that moment right there could pretty much mean that the Biden presidency, in terms of any actual legislative achievements that would matter to a Democrat or a socialist or the left, it's pretty much over now. And Chuck Schumer is the guy who couldn't deliver. Chuck Schumer is the guy who ended it and put this accidental presidency of Joe Biden into the Carter column, officially. And I gotta say, it couldn't have happened to two nicer guys. I'm Larry O'Connor, this is the Mark Levin Show. Mark Levin. New York is seeing a huge spike in this Omicron variant of COVID. So is Boston, so is D.C. D.C. just announced they're going to institute. Uh, they put mask mandates on again uh, earlier this week. They've now announced that there will be a vaccine passport demand in mid-January. By the way, uh, everyone acknowledges that the vaccine doesn't keep you from catching the virus. Everyone acknowledges. I'm not, I'm not saying anything unscientific here. It's like it's, it's pretty clear that that's the case. Um, it is, it appears, that having the vaccine... Uh, does uh, mitigate the symptoms and the severity of the symptoms should you catch the virus. That, that is one thing that does, but it doesn't stop it from spreading. And by having a vaccine mandate or a vaccine passport demanded by the government on private businesses in a city like New York or Chicago, we saw yesterday or now D.C. starting in January 15th, the, the assumption there, or at least the implication is that this is supposed to keep the virus from spreading. But clearly that's not what it does at all. And I'm, I've been vaccinated, I'm, I, and I'm glad that my parents have been vaccinated and people in my life have been vaccinated who have comorbidities, who, who maybe are very overweight or have some lung problems, uh, because if they catch it, and I do think eventually all of us are going to catch some variation of this dang thing, uh, that if they've been vaccinated, it appears based on the data, and it's pretty strong, I am still looking at data here in science, that uh, having been vaccinated actually does lessen the impact and severity of the symptoms that come along with this virus. But that's not what these mandates do. That's not what these mandates do. It's meant, it's implied that it keeps it from spreading because it's all in a reaction to people getting the Omicron variant. 
So because people are getting the Omicron variant, we want everybody to get vaccinated. And so you have to show that you prove that you're vaccinated before you go into an establishment, even though having the vaccination doesn't in any way affect whether you catch it or spread it. (laughs) Right. So why would New York and Chicago and D.C. through their mayors, their power hungry authoritarian mayors, why would they do this? Well, it's clear it's not about keeping the virus from spreading. It's about forcing people to do what Joe Biden and the Biden administration and the authoritarian governments in those states demand that you do. You're not doing what they're telling you to do, and therefore, you can't live a normal life until you do. There's a word for that. It's called tyranny. I read about it in one of Mark Levin's great books. I can't tell you how proud and privileged I am to fill in for him. I'm Larry O'Connor. You're listening to The Mark Levin Show. Here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. I'm Larry O'Connor. I'm sitting in for Mark Levin, my favorite talk radio host. You know why he's my favorite? Because he's the freaking best. Literally, bottom line, he's just the best. The pretenders can sit down, all right? I love you, and I know a lot of you personally, and we're friends. And it's going to be, it, it, you should all man up and and just acknowledge Mark Levin's the best, and I'm vying for number two here. I know, I'm a talk radio host myself. I'm the morning man at WMAL in Washington, D.C., uh, which is Mark Levin's station there in Washington. In fact, he, he wakes up to me every morning. Wouldn't you like to do the same? You can. I mean, I don't know what's going on on the mornings in your uh, current station, but you, you can always check me out or listen to the podcast. Yeah, patronize your local morning show. What am I saying? Eight seven seven three eight one three eight one one. If you want to chat here, uh, I, a little bit of breaking. I would like to start. If we've got breaking news, I want to get you up to speed. Uh, Joe Biden. I, I'm, we're going to expand on this a little bit later in the program. All right. I just have it. It's breaking. I want you to hear it. And then I'm going to expand on it. You and I are going to expand on it together, actually, as we discuss the ramifications here. But Joe Biden appeared on ABC News. Presidents often do this at the end of the year over Christmas. They sit and they do these sort of end of year interviews. Uh, He sat with uh, ABC News anchor uh, David uh, um, Muir, right? Is it Muir? Is it Muir? He was like the third gift that the wise men gave Jesus, right? His gold, frankincense, and David Muir. And uh, and and we'll listen to this exchange because I think it's somewhat illuminating and might make a little bit of news tonight and as you're waking up tomorrow morning. I want to ask you about something I asked weeks before the election when we sat down. Can I pause for a moment? I, this is just something that drives me crazy. I interview people all the time. I've got like four or five guests a day on my morning show. I've been interviewing people for over 10 years. I hate it when somebody conducting an interview says to the person that they're that they're asking questions of. Let's say, what is an interview? It's a guy asking another person questions or a gal, whatever. You know, I'm just saying guy because you say guy. So it's a guy asking another guy questions. So it's already sort of baked in the cake that the one guy is going to ask questions and the other guy is going to answer the questions. That's what an interview is. So why does an interviewer, the guy who's asking the questions, begin their question with, 
I want to ask you a question. What, what else? What the hell are we doing here? If you're not asking questions, you're wasting my time. So I just, I'm sorry. The man's a professional. He makes seven figures for the the August ABC network. I just I just want to point out to his employers that eh, maybe he needs to brush up on the skills. I want to ask you a question. All right. I, I apologize. Please, Mr. Murr, continue. I want to ask you about something I asked weeks before the election mm. when we sat down. Uh, you said you would absolutely serve eight years if elected. Do you plan to run for re-election? Yes. But look, I'm a great respecter of fate. Fate has intervened in my life many, many times. If I'm in the health I'm in now, if I'm in good health, then, in fact, I would run again. And if that means... Now, yeah, we're going to unpack this a little later. Why would he say that? I mean, isn't it always implied? Why do you even have to say it out loud? Of course, if somebody's asking, are you going to do this thing that you plan on doing a few years from now? Well, sure. I mean, not if I'm unhealthy or sick or dead. Obviously. Obviously, that doesn't even have to be said. And yet he said it. He actually went out of his way. So, well, you know, fate. Fate. I'm a believer in fate. I, I think there's something to this. And I'll, I'll tell you in a bit. In a bit. And I'd love to hear from you. What, what do you think's going on there? You think Joe got a phone call? You think he got a memo? Joe, it's, it, this, it's over. You had one shot. You didn't get the build back banana thing through. You're done. We're moving on. One term, baby. You think that's what happened here? Do you think that he's just sort of like telegraphing now? We'll talk about it. 877-381-3811. I, I do want to focus a little bit on uh, what used to be a news network called CNN. I, I actually, I, we, we rail against the media as well we should because they deserve it. And they're awful and they're terrible and they don't, uh, they don't do their basic job function, which is deliver information to you. Now, now, it didn't used to be this way. There was a time when they were better at it. There was a time when they would pretend a little more. And I actually used to watch CNN. You probably used to. You know who I miss is Larry King. And again, I don't care what his politics are. Set aside the politics. I, 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 it, I take for granted that when I watch cable news or watch pretty much anything, either on television or streaming or movies or theater, whatever it is, I just take for granted at this point that they're all uh, leftist ideologues who hate my politics and probably hate me. But that shouldn't get in the way of them doing a good job. I, I'm actually less offended by their politics as I am at their incompetence, their arrogant incompetence. So I used to watch CNN. I didn't used to like it. I actually miss the long-form interview show like a Larry King show. I, if, if, if I were a cable news executive, I would actually bring back a show like that. There's a reason why he was number one for a long time. To, to tell you the truth, the only show out there that's even close to it is, is Mark Levin. Mark Levin is a 10 times better interviewer than Larry King was. In his long-form interview show, sadly, it's only one night a week, Life, Liberty, and Levin. On Fox News, that's that's a great show. There's a reason why it's the top-rated show across cable on the weekends. So people should pay attention to that. But I, I, I make the point that I used to love CNN. And then came Jeff Zucker. CNN is now the house that Zucker burnt to the ground. My friend, uh, and he is very a good friend of mine, Chris Plant, a nationally syndicated radio host. You hear him; uh, he's on nine to noon. 
uh, multiple stations across the country, Eastern Time. Uh, he, 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 he used to work at CNN. He tells me that uh, Jeff Zucker's name is actually pronounced uh, Zucker. Zucker. According to Chris, he actually says to people out loud in meetings and stuff, if they get it wrong, they said, no, it's Zucker like hooker, not Zucker like. This is the kind of guy we're dealing with. This is, this is the kind of intellect and classy guy that we're dealing with, with Jeff Zucker. In 2013, he was named president of CNN Worldwide. In that year, CNN edged out MSNBC as the number two news network. Did you know that? That was eight years ago. Nine years, I guess now, since we're on the brink of 2022. Oh boy, oh boy. What a difference nine years makes. Nine years, CNN edged out MSNBC as the number, new, number two news network. And after leading CNN that first year in the job, it looked like this Zucker guy, he's the right guy for the job. He's going to rejuvenate this brand that was kind of sleepy after a while. CNN was sort of stagnant. Clearly now we know that that's not the case. This guy, Jeff Zucker, has overseen one of the most catastrophic brand redefinitions in modern media history. CNN. CNN. They were it. They were the Rolls Royce. They were the, the original. The OG, as the kids like to say. They possessed, you know, it was kind of a stale persona by the time Zucker got there. Didn't really excite the masses, but it was stable. It was reliable. The most trusted name in news. This is CNN, right? I mean, th this was what they sold to the American people. It was the, maybe you didn't go there every night, but if it was a breaking story, breaking news, a big event, first place you went was CNN. In 2012, right before Jeff Zucker got there, the lineup was Wolf Blitzer, Aaron Burnett, John King, Anderson Cooper, Piers Morgan. You remember that? <laughs> Not that long ago. Less than 10 years ago. If there was a storm, if there was a fire, if there was a riot, if there was an earthquake, if there was a plane crash, if there was some military development in the war on terror, CNN would be the channel people would turn to. Then Zucker comes along. He has a bright idea. Hey, let's not really focus on news so much. He won. I went back and read articles about, about you know, oh, what's Jeff Zucker's plan for CNN? Uh, article in The Atlantic said he wanted, to, he wanted the news network to have an attitude and a take. That's what he said. In fact, he likened it to uh, Vince McMahon's approach to professional wrestling, WWE. Here's what the Atlantic, I'll, I'll read what the Atlantic said. Um, Zucker outlined his new mission to Capitol News, New York's Mike Allen and Alex Werbin. Says he wants CNN to become a news network with an attitude to take, much like how Vince McMahon changed the then World Wrestling Federation in the mid-90s with racier, reality-driven storylines. The Attitude Era. Zucker plans to do something similar with cable news. He wanted to do something similar with cable news that Vince McMahon did with a fake sport, wrestling. How did we not see this coming? And, and I, I want to talk about a pivot point here where, where Zucker burnt CNN to the ground and just dismantled, just destroyed it. I mean, AT&T owns this thing. How they've allowed this to happen this was an asset in their catalog. And they just sat back and let this thing be destroyed. And I, and I know exactly when it was. Do you remember the vanishing of the Malaysian Airlines plane? Flight MH370, remember that? This is when the wheels came off 
the news brand for CNN. CNN no longer had the brand of news. If you're CNN, news is literally your middle name. And because of Zucker, he made it into a low-rent reality network. Remember the coverage of this flight? It was the kind of story that was tailor-made for CNN. Flight goes missing. There's a plane crash. Oh, my gosh. Everyone turned to CNN. And at the beginning of their coverage, that was the place. They were the place to go. Live press conferences, analysis. Then something weird happened. The missing flight story became stale. There was no actual, what's the word I'm looking for? News. There was no news. The plane is still missing. It's like they would have this big 24-7 breaking news coverage, you know, with a big gong breaking news. We've got the latest on the missing plane. The plane is still missing. And there was literally no new development because no one knew anything. There was no news, no facts, no information. And the networks and the other cable stations, they sort of started to get the picture and say, okay, well, there's other stuff going on. In fact, at the time, Russia was invading the Crimean Peninsula in Ukraine. Kind of a big story. The kind of thing that you would usually go to, you know, CNN for. But they strangely stayed with this 24-7 breaking news coverage of a story that was not even breaking and wasn't really news. It became a punchline. I mean, literally. John Stewart at The Daily Show, he, he pointed out this absurdity of CNN's hyperventilating coverage. They mocked it. They parodied it. And you and I, we would go to work at our office cubicles and hang at the coffee. Said, Can you believe I was watching cable news? I turned over to CNN to see what they're They're still on the plane. They're still on the missing plane. The punchline of the missing Malaysian airliner eventually made its way onto CNN itself. Their host, Don Lemon, you remember this. He openly speculated on the air as to whether the plane was sucked into a black hole. I mean, they, he literally asked one of his guests, that, is it possible the plane was sucked into a black hole? By the way, as an aside, this Don Lemon guy who asked that question about the plane being sucked into a black hole, he's the guy who questions your grasp of science if you dare to balk at wearing a piece of cloth on your face while walking alone on the beach. Oh, they're moronic. They don't believe in science. By the way, did that plane get sucked into a black hole? That's Don Lemon. That's CNN. Now, Zucker and his little sycophantic apologist, Brian Stelter, he'll assure you that they got a big ratings bounce from their coverage of the plane. And it was palpable. And I'm sure, I'm sure they did. In fact, the numbers prove it out. When they covered the Malaysian airliner, they did get a ratings bounce. But at what cost? They had wall-to-wall -wall coverage on a story that didn't actually have any real news developments. And to justify this hyper-focus on this, on this non-story, what did they do 24-7? How did they fill that time? Well, they put their hosts and their on-air analysts into this position of spending most of their time not delivering and reporting information to you because there was no information. No, you know what they did? Like the black hole thing. They speculated. They guessed. They predicted. You turn to cable news and you're getting coverage of a missing airliner full of guessing, speculating. Now, that may have been entertaining, but it wasn't news. And so now they're on-air guests, they're on-air hosts, they're on-air reporters. They get into this habit of speculating and predicting rather than reporting and analyzing. That's a hard habit to break. And by the time the 2016 election came around, 
they approached presidential politics in the same way. They spent all their time predicting that Hillary Clinton was going to win. In fact, they did more than that. They assured their viewers that Hillary Clinton was a lock. Of course she's going to win. And if that's how you covered the presidential election, then that means they willfully ignored the biggest story in American politics in nearly a century. Donald Trump's victory. They didn't see it coming. And then what happened at CNN? Well, in a minute, we're going to finish this story because that's where Jeff Zucker could have seen his error. That's where CNN and their ownership could have corrected course. But they were so maddeningly obsessed with you, the American people, who refused to do what they predicted you were supposed to do, which is vote for the perfect candidate, Hillary Clinton. They were so ticked off at you that that's where they burned CNN to the ground. And we'll lay that out in just a moment. I'm Larry O'Connor. It's the Mark Levin Show. Mark Levin. sitting in for Mark Levin today, uh, finishing up this conversation about CNN, because I, I do, I love the media in that I want it to be better. And as I said, Andrew Breitbart brought me into this world. He was, you know, a genius when it came to the media. So if there's something to say about the media, I'm going to say it. And well, Jeff Zucker has ruined CNN. And this is even before the Chris Cuomo Dunlum and the, the pedophile stories, all the insanity that's going on over there. Trump wins in 2016 and Zucker goes all in on this Vince McMahon, WWE news coverage. And in four short years, this attitude approach to the news has now left CNN hemorrhaging viewers compared to their counterparts. And this whole idea of them being the most trusted name in news, it's a punchline for people like me. And because of their misfire on the coverage of the airliner, the MH370, here's the real tragedy. Remember I said, at what cost? Yeah, they got the ratings. But they taught their hosts to spend their time speculating instead of delivering news. And now if there is a major news event, you don't go to CNN. You've learned not to go there. Jeff Zucker taught them to go elsewhere. Now, CNN is not the house that Zucker built, not even close. It's the house that Zucker burned to the ground. The question is, will anyone have the talent to rebuild the house? Larry O'Connor, Mark Levinchev. The only constitutional lawyer you can see today for free. No appointment necessary. Just call him at 877-381-3811. Larry O'Connor sitting in for the great one, Mark Levin, today at 877-381-3811. As you just heard from Mr. Announcer there. By the way, uh, good luck. I believe they're playing right now the Black Knights of the... Army cadets of West Point. They are playing in a bowl game against Missouri. Uh, and, of course, I throw all my support behind the Army Black Knights. Uh, now that, you know, my midshipmen of the United States Naval Academy absolutely just ripped their hearts out in the incredible Army-Navy game. Uh, now, you know, it, it, you know we, we root for Army. Now that that game's over and Navy proved, the, proved their point. <laughs> so go Army. Beat the, uh, beat the time. I would take the over in that game, by the way. I don't think there's going to be a lot of defense in that one. Right there. 
Same with Oklahoma, Oregon, by the way. By the way, if I mentioned I'm from Michigan, you know, I'm going to be filling in for Mark next week. There's going to be a whole lot of Michigan Wolverine talk next week. Just FYI, prepare yourself now. If you're from Columbus, Ohio, you might not want to tune in. Uh, I want to play this again for you. I want you to listen to this. This is President Biden. This is earlier today. He gave an exclusive interview to ABC News. This is David Murr of the gold frankincense and Murr equation asking a very specific question about whether Joe Biden is going to run again in 24. And he gives the same kind of answer that you would expect, except for one thing that he adds at the end here. It's very odd. I want to ask you about something I asked weeks before the election when we sat down. Uh, you said you would absolutely serve eight years if elected. Do you plan to run for re-election? Yes. But look, I'm a great respecter of fate. Fate has intervened in my life many, many times. If I'm in the health I'm in now, if I'm in good health, then, in fact, I would run again. This is fascinating to me because, uh, as David Murr says, I asked you this before the last election. I asked if you were going to run, be a president for eight years, and you said absolutely yes. See, that was only a year and a half ago during the election, during the campaign, under a year and a half ago. And back then, he said absolutely, no question. What, is fate different now than it was a year and a half ago? Is the idea that his health might not be okay in 24 different now than it was a year and a half ago? I mean, when he answered David Murr's question a little over a year ago, the exact same question, why at that time did he not say the same thing? Hey, I'm a big respecter of fate. Fate plays a role in my life. If I'm in the same health I'm in now, sure. But, you know, you never know what might happen. Hey, you know, I could be walking down the street and a piano falls on my head or something. Why, why, Why didn't he say that then? But he's saying it now. Kind of weird, isn't it? And I wonder if you think it's because, well, for the same reason I think, it's because he got the memo. He got a little text message. He got a little visit. The powers that be have sat down and said, Joe, this ain't it, kid. It ain't happening. Just be prepared. It's it's one term and out. You're done. I mean, we've seen these stories about Pete Buttigieg and Kamala Harris vying. Two weeks ago, CNN came out with a story that showed the 11 candidates that could be the nominee for the Democrats in 24. And, and Joe Biden's got to be saying, excuse me, I'm sitting right here. Why are you doing these stories? And there seems to be a ball rolling down the hill here, and it's gaining momentum. Do you think that the die is cast? Do you think that it's done? And do you think this is basically, let's face it, Joe Biden is hardly a disciplined politician. Joe Biden knows, and now he's sort of like, hey, things are squirting out of his pie hole there as he's sitting with David Muir, and he can't control himself because he can't remember, you know, what he's supposed to say out loud and what he's not. So now it's it's this very bizarre, you know, again, as as Muir sets this up, Weeks before the election. So what are we talking? October. So it's, it's what, 14 months ago, 15 months ago, as Murr puts it, he asked, are you going to be president for eight years? And he said, without any reservation, without any reservation, just 14 months ago. Uh, you said you would absolutely serve eight years if elected. Absolutely. Words matter. Absolutely. No question. No doubt. Absolutely. Was fate different then than it is now? 
What's different? What's different? Why does Joe Biden answer this way? Yes, but look. But look. I'm a great respecter of fate. Was he not a respecter of fate? 14 months ago. I'm sorry for beating a dead horse here. But do you see what's happening? Fate has intervened in my life many, many times. If I'm in the health I'm in now, if I'm in good health, then, in fact, I would run again. 877-381-3811. To layer in more data here for you to reach a conclusion about what's really going on here, let me share some other information. Hat tip to The Hill yesterday's version. Biden approval rating at historic low. Source for that? NPR PBS NewsHour poll. This is not Fox News polling. This is not Rasmussen. This is not Trafalgar. This is PBS NPR. Approval rating down to 41%. Historic low. 55% disapproval. You want another one? How about this one? Biden's economic ratings. This is just how do you think he's handling the economy? Worse than Jimmy Carter's. Source for that one? Hold on to your burrito. It's CNN. So you got CNN, NPR, and PBS telling you that Joe Biden is tanking and worse than Carter. And suddenly now, talking to ABC News, asked if he's going to run again. He says, well, sure, but, you know, anything can happen. So did he get a memo? Did he, did he get a little talking to? Did he get a little sit down? And by the way, assuming that you may not be a Democrat, assuming you may not be a socialist, assuming you may not be a supporter of this accidental abomination of a presidency, I'm curious, your reaction? Because frankly, personally, I'd love to run against Joe Biden. Not me personally. But I want the Republican candidate, whoever it is, to run against this guy, to run against this failure. I'd love for that to happen. I don't want him going anywhere. What about you? 877-381-3811. Let's go to Dan in Los Angeles. Dan, what do you make of Joe Biden suddenly with his huge equivocation on whether he'll run again? Uh, <laughs> I just I start calling, instead of Joe, I call him the joke. <laughs> joke Biden. I mean, you know... <laughs> When you, when you talk about him, when you said, I don't want to beat a dead horse, I was thinking, well, if you're, if you're beating Joe Biden, he won't feel it. Oh, oh, I mean, where's the lie? But I get it. So do you, so do you think, now, do you think there's an issue with his health here? Or, and he, because it is very funny. It's like, if I'm in good health, and then he pauses for a moment, like I am right now. It's like, oh, really? Did you see him hack a lung up during his uh, press conference yesterday? I, I don't think he's got the physical power to actually hack a lung up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess that's true. I'm giving, I'm giving way too much credit to his diaphragm. Fair, fair point, Dan. <laughs> yeah, it's just, uh, I don't know. He's, uh, he's one piece of work, i got to say that. He's like, and, uh, when you started talking about the economy, I thought his, his method of dealing with the economy is, to, is, is like taking a, a, a meat tenderizer and beating the hell out of it. <laughs> Yeah, no, you're right, Dan. Listen, then thank you for the call. Thanks for listening to the great KRLA out there in Los Angeles. 
Uh, I, uh, I, I said earlier, if he, had, if he had done nothing, we'd be in better shape with the economy. Well, what do you make of Biden's statement? This is just broke within the last hour and a half, I'd say, where he's now got this huge equivocation. Oh, sure, I'm going to run again in three years. Yeah, yeah, except, eh, you know, anything could happen. I believe in fate. Andy, Clarksville, Georgia. Andy, thanks for listening in. You're on The Mark Levin Show. Yeah, I, I think it's all been scripted from the very beginning. Uh, I think that they will let Biden serve two years so that Harris will finish out his first term, but then be able to run for two more terms on her own. Uh, yeah. They're going to let him do as much damage as possible to our economy and our country in general, so it's on him. And then she runs with a clean slate and says, oh, look what I've done. Uh, you know, neither one of them, that, you know, they're both a nightmare and a joke. And <laughs> the globalists that are pulling their strings are the ones in charge. And it's all been scripted from day one. So, yeah, now's the time Biden's going to start throwing out these little tidbits so that, you know, in another year, uh, whenever he finishes his second term, about this time next year, uh, yeah. he'll announce that he's got, so, you know, dementia or, or, whatever. or whatever. Or, or, or you know, I want to spend time, you know, finally raising my adult son, who's a complete basket case, and I've ignored him his entire life. Uh, Andy, it may be. And thank you for the call, brother. Merry Christmas to you down there in Georgia. Uh, good luck against the Wolverines. <laughs> uh, here, I, a year ago... I would have said the same thing as Andy just did. I would say, oh, absolutely. You know, two years, then he's out. Then uh, Kamala runs as the first female president in American history, and she's running as an incumbent, and she's lined up to do two terms after that. I mean, right, made the order. Here's the problem with that. And I, like I said, I would have said that a year ago. But now we're 11 months in to Kamala Harris. And as bad as Joe Biden is, as unpopular as Joe Biden is, as dismal as Joe Biden is, Kamala's worse. Kamala is worse. The polling on Kamala, she is less popular than Biden, and everything she tries to fix it makes it worse. Her numbers go out when she's hidden away. I, I, I think the Democrats, when they put this package together and sold it to the world, they knew that Kamala Harris would bring some level of energy from the electorate, from black voters and from female voters, energy that Joe Biden couldn't bring to the table if he was set on fire. It was a cynical move to bring her to the ticket for one purpose and one purpose only, and that was to energize some level of the electorate in certain states that would make a difference. She did that job, and now they realize they're stuck with her, and she's awful. She can't do anything. And I think even Democrats recognize that it, with her at the time, I'm sorry, and I'll disagree with Andy. It, the economy is a disaster. Biden steps down. She takes over as president. She can't separate herself. She's the vice president. She's been touting the fact that she's the last person in the room when Joe Biden has to make a big decision. She's been in charge of the border crisis. She's been in charge of lobbying senators to make sure his economic package gets approved. She, she can't divorce herself from this disaster. She owns it. 100%. And here's the other thing. As 
as much of a disaster as Joe Biden is, he actually has allies in the party because he's been around 50 years. He can actually call in favors if he has to. Here's the dirty little secret. Since I'm in D.C., I work on a radio station in Washington. I've been here almost 10 years now. Democrats hate Kamala Harris. Democrats in D.C. Politicians. Senate. There's a reason why she's not down in the Senate, you know, uh, patting backs and shaking hands and trying to cajole people to vote. There's a reason why Kamala Harris didn't personally take on Joe Manchin or Kirsten Cinema to try to charm them to get them to vote. It's because she's hated. They don't like her. They sh- they know that she's the lightweight that she is, and. Here's another thing, a little dirty secret that's not really a secret that you need to know about the United States Senate. Every senator, every one of them, thinks they should be president. And when all those other Democrats see Kamala Harris after only two years in the Senate running for president, they resent her. Big time. And the fact that she couldn't even make it to the Iowa caucus and then ended up miraculously on the ticket? If she, let me tell you something. If what Andy and George has said is true, and the whole plan from the beginning was that Biden makes it past the second year, and then he steps down and Kamala Harris is president, and then she runs in 24, I guarantee you, I guarantee you, mark it down right now, if that happens, she will be challenged for the nomination by probably multiple people. Guaranteed. So what do you think's happening here? And, and just from a political bystander's position, because if you're not a Democrat, you don't have a dog in this fight. You don't have a chicken in this bucket. Just, just for the sole selfish interest as a Republican, as a conservative, what would you be down with here? Personally, I'd love for the Republican nominee to run against Joe Biden. Give me that all every day of the week. How about you? How about you? Do, you? do you think maybe that's one of the reasons why this is happening? Democrats recognize now they got to hit the Control-Alt-Delete on this baby because this is going nowhere fast. Polling economically worse than Carter, according to CNN. Lowest polls in history for Joe Biden, according to NPR PBS. And he couldn't get his one signature piece of legislation through because he couldn't get Democrats to vote for it. Do you think they even see, yeah, it's done. We're done. We're pulling the plug here. Time to regroup. Time for a new plan. 877-381-3811. I'm Larry O'Connor. It's the Mark Levin Show. Mark Levin. Fifty-five minutes after the hour here on the Mark Levin Show. I'm Larry O'Connor sitting in Fort Mark Levin. And let's hear from uh, Brandon in Fayetteville, North Carolina. Really? Brandon. All right, let's go. Hey, how you doing? Thanks Good. For what do you say, Brandon? <laughs> so uh, I just called in. I'm actually a Democrat, um, but I'm not calling to oppose you today. I'm actually calling to agree with you. Um, I think you guys are 100% right about Joe Biden. Like, um, uh, going into the election, I had such a uh, much more positive outlook on him. But like you guys are saying, the economy's tanking, these mass mandates. I'm a veteran. My wife's actually an active member in the military. These mass mandates have, like, put people's jobs and lives in jeopardy. And I think he's, like, really done a horrible job. 
And it's just like comparing him to a Republican. I don't know what Republican's going to run. Um, I'm yeah. not a huge fan of Republicans. I won't lie about that. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know what Republican's going to run, but I will definitely, like, this go around. I'm definitely going to give a lot more interest in a Republican candidate because it's like, what the heck is going on? Like, what are Bra- you Brandon, doing? and I appreciate your honesty. I do, brother. I do. Do you think things were better off a, a couple of years ago under the uh, last, under President Trump? Whether you like him or not, do you think things were objectively better? Uh, I'm going to be honest. There's a lot of things with Trump that I didn't agree with. Like, uh, but if we're talking about the, the pandemic and the, the route that he was going at first, I was opposed to it. And I would like, I think that was a lot to do with because of uh, maybe the media, but a lot to do with just being worried about the pandemic myself. Yeah. Yeah, but it certainly isn't better. Listen, Brandon, you keep listening. And even more importantly, let's keep talking. Thanks for listening. I'm Larry Connor. This has been the Mark Levin Show.